The Grazadillo School of Business and Management at Pepperdine University proudly presents the Dean's Executive Leadership Series. This podcast invites top business practitioners and thought leaders to share their view on the real world of business. Well, thank you and welcome to our second podcast of the series with Patricia Sellers. I'm here with Linda Livingstone, who is the Dean of Pepperdine's Grazadillo School of Business and Management. Thanks for coming back and joining us today, Linda. Well, it's my pleasure to be here again, Rick. So our first interview with Patty was very interesting. Tell us what we can look forward to in this second half. Well, I think that what you'll see in the second half is Patty building on the really interesting things she shared about women in leadership in organizations. And in particular, the interview with Patty was the day after Carly Fiorina's book had come oh, out. Yeah. And so Patty has actually met Carly, obviously, on a number of occasions and interviewed her and had read parts of her book. So she has some really in- interesting insights to share based on her personal experience with Carly as well as the hmm. parts of the book that she'd read. I'm sure it's fascinating. Well, let's dive right into the uh, second half of the interview between Linda Livingstone and Patricia Sellers of Fortune magazine. Obviously, uh, this week there's been lots about Carly Fiorina because of her book coming out and, and then that sort of parallels with your, uh, your Women's Summit as well as your, your publication. She clearly was on that list when she was at HP. And, um, and it's interesting because the thing I was thinking about, you were ta- when you were talking about PepsiCo and uh, Indra Nui being a strategist uh, and, the, and the man that didn't get the job was an operations person. Um, you know, a lot of what you hear about Mark Hurd is that he's a great operations guy and that that's why he's come in and been able to be successful. Talk a little bit about kind of uh, your thinking on PepsiCo and how why that worked for Indra, and then now you look at HP and what's going on there, and Mark Hurd, you know, being sort of framed as more of an operations person, and, and how that plays out uh, versus kind of Carly's style in running that company. You know, I, I, I find it fascinating with a lot of companies, what you get is a strategist, a CEO, and then an operations person, a CEO, and then a strategist, and then an operations person. <laughs> I mean, look at PepsiCo. Roger Enrico was the CEO. He actually happened to be a really good strategist and an operations guy, but more known as a strategist. Who becomes CEO after him? Steve Reinemann, a really intense operations guy. Mm-hmm. Now they move to Indra Nui. Carly? is a strategist. Her downfall was execution. Mm -hmm. Number one reason CEOs fail, execution. She overpromised and underdelivered and she didn't have the executional strength to, you know, to deliver. So they bring in a really hardcore execution guy. I think, you know, I mean, I don't know Mark Hurd well, but I have talked with him and I think he's really impressive. Mm -hmm. And I actually think he's a guy who sees the big picture and the details really well. Mm-hmm. So, you know, they have a very good CEO in there right now. But um, Carly, you know, Carly, I think, so. and we, you know, we put Carly at number one on our list, our very first list in 1998 when she was completely unknown. Mm-hmm. And I picked up her book last, last night, Tough Choices, and um, she talks about this. And she talks about me coming to interview her in August of 1998. And she she was number one on our list 
1998 when she was at Lucent, ran the biggest division of Lucent, became CEO of Hewlett Packard in July the next year, July of 99, stayed on our list at number one until <laughs> 2003. But, you know, Carly, Carly was an amazing executive in so many ways. Mm -hmm. I think her flaws are twofold. She she overpromised and underdelivered because she didn't have the executional strength, the operation strength under her, or didn't use it right, didn't mm -hmm. employ it right. And I think that she is almost too charismatic mm -hmm. and too confident. I mean, not many CEOs could have argued for that compact acquisition a few years ago as successfully as she did. Sure. But she's a great salesperson. And I think there was a lot of impression that she was too fond of being in the media spotlight and that mm -hmm. that maybe took some of her attention away from what she needed to be doing at the company as well. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Once the dot-com bust happened it and the sort of age of the lower ego, more grounded, more pragmatic CEO in the mold of Jeff Immelt at GE and Jim McNerney, now at Boeing, and A.G. Lafley at Procter & Gamble. Once that era sort of ushered in, Carly was out of style. Obviously, there's lots more going on at HP right now with all the blow up in their boardroom and everything. And certainly, uh, Patricia Dunn, another high profile woman, has been involved in that. You know, given all that turmoil at HP over Carly's situation, over Patricia Dunn's situation, do you think there's any long-term implications for how that impacts women uniquely, or is that just generally going to have some implications for the business community, independent of the fact that they were both women at this very high-profile company in very visible kinds of uh, controversial situations? I mean, it's interesting. You know, until until Martha Stewart got in trouble, or or actually, I mean, you know, she got in trouble so long ago mm -hmm. amidst all of these other corporate scandals right. that. She, Martha was the only woman who was sort of, you know, in really hot water. And now, sudden, and then Carly, Carly falls. I mean, the good thing for Carly and the good thing for sort of powerful women is that Carly has not been implicated in right. any of this. She is clean. And she's looking pretty good right now. Mm -hmm. And her book's coming out. Her book is going to be read by a lot of people. She's looking good. Patty Dunn, I... I know her pretty well, and I, I always actually thought she was a lovely person. And if you saw her on 60 Minutes the other night with mm -hmm. Leslie Stahl, she came across she came across well. And you know she's fighting stage four ovarian cancer, mm -hmm. and I think that she could gain a lot of sympathy. So you know I don't know that we can make any conclusions about whether she is going to be branded a you know, kind of <laughs> evil woman in the in the right. minds of, you know, sort of corporate watchers. The general counsel of HP is also a woman, this Ann Baskins, and she pleaded the fifth and she resigned. So she's been kind of out of the, you know, quietly in the background. But it is kind of amazing and disturbing that, you know, this is all women in the, in the HP spotlight. Well, and I, I believe one of the other things that in in one place in the the most recent publication, you talked about the fact that oftentimes women seek power because they want to impact the world and make a difference in the world. 
And you know, at Pepperdine, our mission is to, to prepare students for lives of purpose, service, and leadership and because we want our students to go out and make a difference. How do you think that plays? I mean, given some of these uh, sort of recent sort of controversial issues that have happened with women in those kind of powerful roles, and the sense that we sometimes think maybe that women have this sort of higher purpose sometimes in what they're doing, how does that mesh, or what is your experience as you've been out talking to people about sort of What's the motivation for people in doing this? Is it different for women than for men? And in doing, in doing in, in, what? In, in how they would use their power in these kinds of positions and why they're interested in being in powerful positions like this. Ever since we've been doing this Most Powerful Women list, since 1998, women I've interviewed have been so uncomfortable with this word power. Mm -hmm. They're actually getting a lot more comfortable. Women I talked to who were not comfortable with power a few years ago are now saying they are comfortable with power. Women tend to think about power as influence. Mm -hmm. And I always say that they tend to think about power, we tend to think about power horizontally rather than vertically. Mm -hmm. They think about, um, you know, climbing the ladder, getting to the next rung, getting the higher position isn't as important as having an influence, you know, sort of more broadly, more horizontally. As companies become more sort of socially responsible, I think they'll do a better job of holding on to women. I mean, you know, if, if GE is just interested in making its numbers every quarter, it's going to be a turnoff to a lot of women mm -hmm. and a lot of men. If GE is interested in, you know, cleaning up the environment and making money by doing that, mm -hmm that's going to be really appealing. Women, I mean, all sorts of surveys show that women are just more, mm -hmm. that means more to women. I do think that, you know, sort of the noble, the noble cause, the noble purpose is a turn on, and it's a turn on to, to young people, mm -hmm. men and women, young men and women. I mean, PepsiCo, PepsiCo happens to be a company that has always talked about noble causes. Mm -hmm. Roger Enrico, three CEOs ago, is the, is, was the big preacher about that. And uh, it's helped PepsiCo attract, be one of the best companies in the world for attracting and developing talent and developing future CEOs. Mm -hmm. I do think, though, that the leaky pipeline for women will exist forever. Mm -hmm. There's never going to be parity at the top. And it's not because of a glass ceiling. I mean, at a certain point, enough women will be on boards that there's not going to be as much of a reason to say there's a glass ceiling. Right. But the simple fact is that women think about power differently. Mm -hmm. And, you know, more and more women are like Meg Whitman, the CEO of eBay, who says at 50, at age 50, this is my last CEO job. I don't want to do I, this. Uh, Meg, Meg's going to be in the eBay job longer than she wants to be because eBay is struggling right mm -hmm. now. Meg had intentions of leaving eBay in the next year or right. two. She's probably going to be there for longer. But when she does leave, she wants to do something in education or mm -hmm. philanthropy. And a lot of women feel that way. And more and more men actually feel that mm -hmm. way too. I mean, you know, a lot of it has to do with the corporate scandals. A lot of it has to do with CEOs not really being respected as much as they, as they used to. Yeah. Well, and I think there was a point in history where business leaders were the thought leaders yes. in the country and mm -hmm. the ones that you really listen to, and you don't see that as much. Probably in part because the business world has become so complicated and so all-encompassing that you just really 
can't focus on too many things right. at one time. It's, it's you can't be successful responsible yeah, exactly. to your company. Um, you talk about there's going to always sort of be this um, women coming in and out of the workforce. And so there is a lot of off-ramping of women. And we've actually seen, I think in a way, women's participation in the workforce decline somewhat over the years, even though it had gotten up to kind of a high. Uh, we actually, and I think I've mentioned this to you before, have started a morning MBA program. It's a part-time MBA program. Originally, kind of the thought process was for women who wanted to on-ramp back after they stepped out of the workforce, had children. And we know there's other populations that are very interested in that as well. What can business schools and businesses do to, to more effectively help women that want to have this sort of different career path without thinking you have to start, just go straight through and never take a break to do something else, whether that's family-related or community-related or chair, you know, uh, helping with education or uh, charities? What can we do better to, to make that an easier process? Well, it's a really interesting question, and I would think that one way to start would be to have some of these people who have done it in and and talk in your classes about about it and you know students that graduate from here will be will go into corporations and will you know will sort of espouse that view Brenda Barnes the current CEO of Sara Lee mm -hmm. was in the late 90s the highest ranking woman in the packaged goods industry she was head of Pepsi-Cola North America which at the time included the bottling business, mm -hmm. so it was a like $16 billion business. She, she quit. She moved back to Illinois with her husband. Her husband had quit PepsiCo too, and they have three children. Brenda did it the most strategic and smart way that anybody could. She joined a bunch of boards in mm -hmm. different industries with all intentions of going back someday, but not knowing what industry she wanted to go into. So she joined the New York Times board and the Avon board and the Staples board. Mm -hmm. She was on the Star Wars board, board for a while. She was on George Lucas's film film board, and she and the Sears board. And she ended up coming into Sara Lee a couple of years ago as the number two, knowing that she was going mm -hmm. to become CEO. Irene Rosenfeld, our new number five on the list, left Kraft three years ago and took a year off. Everybody told her, it's stupid. Headhunters told her, don't do it. Mm -hmm. And she did it. And Jim Kiltz, former CEO of Gillette, really respected, you know, sort of corporate former executive, former CEO, he told her, when you go back, don't go back for the position, go back for the, go back to a great company. So she went to, she took a job as head of Frito-Lay, part of PepsiCo, mm -hmm. and, you know, when Kraft needed a new CEO, they called her, and she got great experience at PepsiCo. So you can drop out, but you've got to do it strategically. You stay in the game while you to, you're out you in to, some way. You have to stay in the game. And you could take a year off, mm -hmm. as Irene Rosenfeld did, a legitimate year off. She didn't, she didn't join a bunch of boards. But, you know, Brenda Barnes took like five years yeah, off, she six was out years off. Mm -hmm. But she was working really hard on boards. And she was, you know, I mean, she's told me that she said, I view my life in chapters. And she spent that chapter in a really rich way. Mm -hmm. A lot of women their lives in chapters. So, you know, what can business schools and businesses do? They can sort of, you know, do whatever it takes to understand that concept, which is, which is different, but absolutely valid. 
you, we were talking about those women being on boards, and that was part of how they kind of stayed on top of the game while they were transitioning. What do women need to do to be better prepared to be on boards? That's clearly one of the areas we are see, beginning to see women filter into CEO positions, but they're still not represented as well on boards either, and that's certainly going to have a huge impact on whether they're represented in the CEO seats in the long run. What are the women who have that interest that are moving up in companies, what are things they can do to better prepare themselves for board opportunities when they arise? Um, join not-for-profit boards, mm -hmm. which are more and more um, developing the same sort of corporate mm -hmm. governance um, rules um, as, as, as public company mm -hmm. boards, and you can sort of learn the ropes that way. Get in front of headhunters, call headhunters who are, I mean, the big firms, Hydrogen Struggles, Spencer Stewart, mm -hmm. Corn Ferry, Russell Reynolds, they all have board experts. Find out who those people are. It's really easy. You go to their websites and sure. call them, email them. A number of women I know who are on some terrific boards have done it that way. So you really have to be very proactive. Absolutely. And uh, make yourself visible out there to those people that are making those kinds of decisions. A yeah. Absolutely, yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, kind of to conclude, I had one last question I wanted to ask you. You've obviously been interviewing very fascinating women for many years as part of the Fortune Most Powerful Women's uh, publication. So if you think back on that, are there any, you know, maybe stories that didn't make the, the magazine that were just fascinating to you or interesting or that tell, tell you something insightful about uh, any of the women that would be just sort of interesting anecdotes uh, to share? You know, I mean, the behind the scenes, the behind the scenes are really like kind of interesting and entertaining, but I'm trying to think on the, uh, you know, I mean, I pursued Martha Stewart for two oh, years to get to get her to talk. She, we put her on the cover of the Most Powerful Women issue last year, and you know I ended up doing the only the only interviews she's ever done about her experiences in in jail. And you know I wanted to get the first ones. I didn't I didn't think I'd get the only ones, mm -hmm. but she has put that so behind her. Sure. And, oh my God, I was I was writing to her in jail every two weeks. I was sending her magazines. I was begging to come see her in prison, and she wouldn't let me. But I, you know, I saw her a number of times right after she got out. And, um, I, you know, the the Carly Fiorina situation is just is just fascinating to me. I mean, reading. Uh, I was in Santa Barbara last night, and I picked up her book in a Barnes and Noble. Right. I walked into Borders, and it wasn't there, but Barnes and Noble had mm. it. And you know, she writes. She writes in there about this experience of being on this number one on this most powerful women list, our first list. And you know, she writes about it with a lot of emotion. And her mother had. Her mother was dying at the time, mm -hmm. and she says in the book that her mother couldn't stop hugging the magazine. Interesting. And I just. I mean, it's so incredible to me to think. You know that. I mean, I, I, I don't always realize what kind of an effect, you mm -hmm. know, the stories we write have on people in a very personal way. And it meant, it meant a, lot of, a lot to me, especially reading this from Carly, mm -hmm. because she was always very, had very mixed emotions. And she talks about this in the book. She doesn't think there should be a most powerful women list. She thinks it segregates women and, mm -hmm. you know, she looks forward to the day when 
there is no list. And I do too. They're on the same list as the men are on. Yeah. yeah. So do you consider yourself a powerful woman given the role you play at Fortune and the influence you have in the media? Yes, I do. And I'm very comfortable with that. I mean, I feel that this list that we've created, this mm -hmm. broad franchise that we've created, which now includes you know, this Most Powerful Women's Summit, which you were at, mm -hmm. Linda. It's a wonderful experience. We love having you there. You know, we use that as a platform. I mean, we intentionally call that the Most Powerful Women's Summit. We call the package in the magazine the Most Powerful Women mm -hmm. in Business. But when we gather these women together, we really see it as a platform to help them connect with each other and learn about things outside of their silos. Mm -hmm. So we have a lot of philanthropic stuff, education stuff. I mean, we had this uh, Reverend Shorey, who's who's the new uh, head of the Episcopal right. Church, and you know, this is this is fascinating stuff. But we started an internship program this year, bringing young women from around the world to mentor with some of our, you know, most prominent women, and. Uh, boy, do do I feel powerful when I see what mm -hmm. you know? How thrilled they are to come to this country for a month and work with women like Andrea Jung at Avon and Anne Mulcahy, the CEO of Xerox, and Anne Anne Moore, the CEO of Time Inc. Boy, that's that to me is really powerful. Well, and hearing those stories was so moving. I mean, it and it really showed how you can have a huge impact even beyond the work that you're doing in your companies here and in your organization. So it's a wonderful program that you yes. guys are doing. Thank so. you. We're going to build it up. Yeah. Yes. Well, thank you. You're it's welcome. wonderful. I enjoyed Good. it. I learned a lot along the way. Good. Thanks for joining us and being a part of it. We really appreciate it. Terrific. Patty. I enjoyed it. Thank Great. you, Linda. That concludes Linda's interview with Patricia Sellers. Uh, Dean Livingstone, any final thoughts? Well, I hope everyone enjoyed that discussion with Patty. I thought it was uh, extremely interesting and insightful, and I certainly hope that folks will come back and hear some of the speakers that we have in the future. Yes, uh, tell me about that. Who is, uh, who's next in the lineup for the Dean's Executive Leadership Series? Coming January 9th, we have Brian Franz. Brian is the head of daytime TV at ABC Disney. And from what I understand, he has some really interesting stories to tell. So I think it will be a real treat for anyone that attends. Well, very good. Hopefully he may even be able to sit down with you for an interview as well. We'll see. Well, thank you all for joining us today. Please visit the Grazadio School website for additional information at bschool.pepperdine.edu. We'd also like to invite you to uh, check out iTunes or the Pepperdine website for future podcasts. Until next time, thanks for joining us. One thing I've learned is you can either let things happen or make things happen. That's why I'm running my own full-time business and earning my MBA from Pepperdine University. Because an MBA from a top-ranking school like Pepperdine only adds to my credibility as well as my capabilities. I've also made all these great business contacts through Pepperdine University's extensive student and alumni network. Now, my company and I aren't just surviving, we're thriving. Are you ready to really make things happen and join an alumni network of over 30,000 professionals? Then call 1-800-933-3333 for more information about either our morning or evening MBA programs for working professionals. That's 1-800-933-3333. Pepperdine University's prestigious Grazio Dio School of Business and Management, where the real world of business is mastered.